Hi, I'm Annabella, a wife and mom from Arkansas, and I'm so thankful for this podcast because I haven't found another one like it. It is very deep and tells powerful stories without hiding ugly details, but it always exalts God and His mercy towards us. These stories are very diverse, so I promise there's an episode there that you will be able to relate to and that you may need to hear, and you will be hooked too. So enjoy today's episode. I was on the streets of Tehran. I was shouting, death to America, death to America, because everybody was doing it. But in my heart, I was saying, not yet, please. I want to go there. <laughs> I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to season four of Compelled, a seasonal podcast using gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming the lives of Christians around the world. Last week, our guests were Fred and Casey Weymouth. Fred was once a successful insurance salesman, but had become a homeless drug addict completely in bondage to heroin and other substances. Casey had a promising career, but had become a hopeless alcoholic. And no matter how many recovery programs she went to, she always landed back at the bottom of a bottle. Both of them were desperately looking for their next fix, but could never find what they really wanted until they fixed their eyes upon Jesus. You can hear that story by tuning into last week's episode with Fred and Casey Weymouth. Today, our guest is Hormoz Sharit, who once chanted death to America in the streets of Tehran. But after doubts crept into his heart about Islam, he was forced to reckon with what he truly believed about God. His conclusions and ensuing actions would eventually lead the Iranian government to branding him as an enemy of the state. So lean in and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. Last year, I met with Hormoz at a nondescript location near Dallas, Texas. Now, because of the nature of his story, we can't reveal the precise location, but let's just say it was somewhere that you would never expect. Hormoz is born and raised in Iran, and he has long ties to the city of Semnan, which is just three hours east of the capital city, Tehran. His grandfather's grandfather paid for and built a mosque there, which is the oldest and most well-known mosque in the area. For 150 years, Hormoz's family took care of that mosque until the Iranian Revolution in the 1970s, when the new government took over. For Hormoz, Islam was all that he had ever known. Not that he was especially devout, but it was just what he did and was part of his childhood. I was born in an Islamic family in Iran, and I was the middle child of six, seven children, and I was pretty much ignored, not causing trouble, just studying and getting good grades without them pushing me. So they were happy with me, so they left me alone. Okay. Yeah. And that's normal in Persian culture, especially with your dad. Very rarely we come close to dad. Dad is a authority figure. Hmm. And with mom, mom, my mom was very busy, very busy teaching and uh, leading a household. But I learned a lot from my mom by watching her. Hmm. That's, that's why I believe in that women are strong because they had a strong mom that led the house. My parents were educators. My mom was a school teacher. In the early years, she was teaching Quran and Islamic laws in primary school. My dad was high school principal for many years and then became a you know a professor uh, in the latter years uh, teaching at college but islam was important in our family but was not forced on me i followed islam as early in in the early ages uh, i did my ritual prayers and fasted the months of ramadan but when i got to my teenage years 
I said, um, this doesn't make sense. I memorized this prayer and repeated five times. It hasn't added anything to my life, you know. Repeating those prayers doesn't give me peace or joy or change me or uh, makes a connection between me and the Lord, just uh, doing your duty. So I stopped doing that and focused on studies. I wanted to get a PhD in science in the U.S. and become a research scientist. That was became my teenage goal, and I focused on that. Became a good student. I got good grades. It was hard to get into the university in Iran. There's so much competition. And I got to a very good university, and uh, I got my bachelor's there in electrical engineering. And my focus was come to U.S., get a PhD, and be a research scientist. So your goal was to come to the U.S. and get your PhD from, in America, yeah, yeah. Not, not in Iran. No, uh, no. In America, from my teenage years, that was it. I loved America. And by the way, many Iranians love America, admired the science here, the schools here. I met my wife in Iran. She was American, a young, brave American visiting Iran. And uh, we met and we got married when I was a student there. She's from Oregon and she learned Farsi. She learned our culture very well. She still speaks so well Farsi. And, and she, she converted to Islam. I asked her later, why did you become a Muslim? She said, well, I, I went to church in America, but I didn't see this much of commitment wow. to their beliefs. So I said, if they're ready to live and die for Allah, it must be truth. In my church, people were lukewarm, you know, kind of. Whoa. That's why it was attractive uh, to Islam. She became a Muslim. And the funny thing is that she was with me on the streets of Tehran in 79. Here's an American lady with an Islamic covering shouting death to America with me. Now, for those of you not familiar with Iranian politics, the 1970s were full of turmoil at the time. The nation was ruled by the last Shah of Iran, who had the support of the United States government. There was a lot of unrest and violence and plenty of student protests. Several groups were vying for power, including Marxists, communists, and various Islamist groups. Some of you may have heard of the Iranian hostage crisis, which is when the American embassy was overrun by students and 50 American hostages were taken. Eventually, by the end of 1979, the Shah's government was toppled. Even though I, uh, in 79, as a student, I was on the streets of Tehran, I was shouting, death to America, death to America, because everybody was doing, and we wanted to topple Shah. As young people, we wanted to change the government, and I was saying, death to America, but in my heart, I was saying, not yet, please, I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... Uh, I came to United States right after the revolution for my PhD. I woke up to my faith in Islam. I said, I've been pretty much ignoring my faith during my te teenage years, and I'm here in the U.S. to get my uh, PhD, but maybe I should pay attention to God. I've been ignoring him. There must be God and must be with Islam. Look at what it's doing. It's uh, defeating superpower USA. So maybe I should go back to my roots. Maybe I, I was too young to ignore it. I said, I want to, if I make a commitment to serve Islam, I want to do it with the knowledge, not just out of feeling. I knew Quran, I've read it, but maybe I was too young. Let me read the Quran one more time, objectively, as a researcher. And if there's truth to it, I will dedicate my life to serving Islam. After finished Quran, I realized, no, uh, nothing much has changed in my life. My knowledge of that 
increased a little bit, but where is God? How does he relate to my daily life? I don't know. There's non-existent, no experience. It's just a lot of general direction and politics and I would say violence. So I finished that. I said, well, maybe this is my conclusion. Maybe there is no God, but if there is, and it's in Islam, he doesn't relate to my daily life. Hmm. It's distant. You cannot have a personal relationship. It's a non-personal God who is stand far, far away, just sends us some laws that we need to obey. That Accept that you get your degrees. This is what your future is. You, you get your degrees. You're probably going to find a good job in America. You get a car and a house and maybe a bigger house and a newer car, and then you die. Okay, accept that. <laughs> and that's it. Yes, it. Okay. Okay. My heart was not be happy with that. What's the purpose? Now, at the time, Hormoz had limited his research only to the Quran. It was what he had grown up with, and he had reason to believe it was the world's preeminent religion, especially seeing how the underdog Islamists in Iran had defeated the Shah's government, which was largely perceived as a puppet of Christian America. But still, Hormoz realized that he might need to broaden his search before drawing final conclusions. But something in me, I I think it was intellectual pride, said, how can you come to such a conclusion on such an important subject, God, existence, your relationship with him? Just reading one book, that's not research. A researcher reads different lines of thinking, then he comes to a conclusion. How can you come to a conclusion reading one book? That's not good research. So I said, okay, what, what else? Uh, okay, they, have, they say God has written other books. I'm going to read it. But I don't think I'm going to find anything new in it because Islam is the last religion. Islam is the most complete religion. I got a Bible. I said, well, I probably can read it in three days. You know, it was summer. I didn't have a, a class. I was putting 16 hours and more searching for God. He said, okay, I I take it, just read it. I don't think I'm going to find anything new. So I read really fast Genesis. I said, let me look at the New Testament, Matthew. I started reading Matthew. Then I said, I couldn't go fast. Who is this Jesus? I didn't expect him to be like this. I expect him to be a prophet just like Muhammad, but he's not like Muhammad. He's too proud. Okay. (laughs) He talks too much about himself and... Then he does miracles, which I did not believe. I said, that's not scientific. His disciples made that up for him to validate his teaching, but I couldn't deny his teaching. I wanted to read the whole Bible in three days, but three months later, I was in Matthew 5, struggling every every verse. Wow. And, uh, I couldn't bring Islam and Christianity together because that was my intellectual position, which I think many intellectuals today even think that way, that... What they say is, all religions are the same, and why do you guys fight? If you really study them, you see they're all basically the same. And that's what they say, that the intellectual elite will yeah. say this. and I, that's how I studied. They said they're the same, but the more I studied, the more co- I compared, they're not the same. Both, after three months of study, both could not be true. Totally different gods they're presenting. The God of Islam is a very distant God, cruel God, violent God, deceptive God, untrustworthy, you can't trust him. He can change his mind at any time. Totally, the characteristic of God, Allah, is not Jehovah. 
In short, Hormuz was struggling with what he expected the prophet Jesus to say versus what the Jesus in the book of Matthew was actually saying. For example, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 was incredibly moving and touching for Hermos, but it also felt impractical and impossible to live out. The standard that Jesus preached seemed ludicrous. I mean, who in the world could bless their enemies when they were persecuted? Now, at the same time that Hermos was struggling with what he believed about God, something else was struggling, his marriage. Hermos and his wife, Donnell, had been married only three years, but after moving to the U.S., they barely spoke with each other. But ironically, God would use Donnell to play a crucial role in Hermos' spiritual journey. Coming up after the break. Hey, what's up, folks? It's your boy, Dwayne. This is The Bar Podcast, a podcast that's interview style. We interview well-known preachers, seminary professors, ministry leaders, app developers, artists, and even local pastors. Tune in every Tuesday to your favorite podcast, The Bar Podcast. You will find a new episode and a new guest. Go to thebarpodcast.com or any of your favorite podcast catchers. Peace. Welcome back to Compelled. When we left off, Hormoz Sharia was systematically examining the Bible and comparing it against Islam, trying to determine the truth of who God really was. Hormoz was using a Bible that he had borrowed from his wife, Donnell. Donnell had grown up in America as a nominal Christian, but she had converted to Islam before marrying Hormoz three years prior. But their marriage was now on the rocks. They argued constantly and would avoid each other, even in their own home. By the way, we were, we were getting a divorce at that time. We had set a date. You know, we had so much problem together. How long y'all had been married? At that time, we were married three years. Wow, that's really fast to yeah. get a divorce. The amazing thing is my wife. Here I'm searching at home. She's staying late at her office. And every night at 10 p.m., the janitor will come in from Guatemala to get the garbages out. And he sees this young lady, uh, very sad, and he had compassion on her. Would bring her some tea, coffee, sometimes food from home. But problem was he couldn't speak English. Because he's from Guatemala. That's right. He was a worker there. So he went and learned one sentence in English. He came and one night told my wife, Jesus loves you. And continued to give a track and tell my wife, Let, you know, I have a church that has both Spanish and English services, come, come. So when my wife saw me struggling with, uh, I can't find answers comparing, I said, I cannot find answers. The, the more I study, the more questions I have. She said, my janitor is inviting us to his church. I said, okay, let's go. Maybe I find my answers there. After a few weeks, I heard the gospel, which was simple, very simple principles. And I was astonished because I was making things complicated. Study, study, compare, you know. And then I heard the gospel that even a child can understand. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me try that. I, I prayed and my life was totally changed. Almost instantly, Hormoz felt a change in his heart. The anxiety he'd had the last several months over who God was had vanished. And Hormoz recounts experiencing an indescribable peace and joy for the first time in his life not just once, but continually. And of course, this wasn't something he could keep to himself, and he had to tell his family right away. Beginning, I kind of shared with them. Um, my immediate family, 
they mocked me. It was, you're an engineer, you're getting your PhD and you're stupid. <laughs> With doing this, why did you make such a stupid uh, decision to follow Christ? You're an intelligent guy. In August, we got saved. So we got a month later, uh, October, and we said, okay, marriage has not improved. Okay, I, I feel something changing me, and she did, but so let's, let's, let's go ahead with divorce. Uh, then we uh, talked to our pastor that, you know, we have, even from beginning, our marriage was just a contract, and now we're getting divorced, and pastor said, let me tell you something. He showed me the verse in Malachi that God says, I hate divorce. I was shocked. I said, wow, what kind of religion did I get into? In Islam, it's so easy to divorce your wife. Really? Uh, you can have multiple wives and you can divorce them. Easy. So I struggled and my wife struggled. So we decided, let's give God a chance. Let's stay together. So we canceled that and we started working on our marriage. God saved their marriage. Today, they have three grown children and two grandchildren. And just a few days ago, Hormoz and Danelle celebrated their 44th wedding anniversary. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Just a few months after Hormoz found the Lord, a major incident happened that would change his life trajectory forever. My younger brother, who was 16 years old, he was arrested in Iran on minor political charges. My, none of my family members were Christians then. Praise the Lord now. Many, 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 many are Christians. Uh, oh, praise God. But I was praying for him, uh, release of my brother for two years. They kept him for two years. They told my mom, oh, we're going to send him. He, he's, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. We, 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 we let him go. He's just 16, you know, a young, young man. But when he turned 18, they called my mom and said, uh, come and take his body. We just executed him by firing squad. My mom went to get the body and they charged her for the bullets for the killing of her son. She had to pay money and to get the body. When I heard that as a new believer, just, oh my gosh, you know, I went through a crisis of faith. God, what is this? As a Christian, what am I supposed to do? There is injustice in this world. First, I had a feeling of revenge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a revenge. I'm gonna do something to those people. Then I realized, oh no, the Bible says revenge is mine. Okay, I'm not supposed to take revenge. Okay, God, sorry. But um, I hate him. God, I hate those people who killed my brother. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to hate. I'm supposed to even love my enemies. What, what? okay. I'm angry, God, I'm so angry. Oh no, I'm not supposed to be angry. <laughs> if you're angry in your heart, you kill. <laughs> you have murder in your heart. So, so what kind? What is this faith? It's good, but what do we do against the injustice in this world? I said, God, can I cuss at this? It's like it makes me feel better, you know. And I realized, no, you can't even do that because you worship with your mouth and you cannot say those words. And I felt through those three days of mourning, God speak to me. Those who killed your brother are not your enemies. They're victims in the hands of the enemy. There is only one enemy, which is Satan. And they themselves need mercy and salvation. So don't look at them as enemies. They look at them with compassion. They're instruments in the hands of enemies. So that changed my heart. I said, what, okay, what, God, God, what can I do? And that's where I felt only thing you can do is to share the gospel. Mm. People's lives, let them change. 
that's the only hope of the world that people come to him to be changed, to turn their hatred to love. So I said, okay, I, I will do that. Even though I'm a very introvert, shy engineer type nerd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. A PhD <laughs> research, science researcher. I said, okay, I will do that. Even though it's so hard for me, I will do that. I will share the gospel. And I signed up for Evangelism Explosion. I signed up to be trained as an evangelist. And they sent me door to door. Oh my gosh. That was so hard. Wow. During those years, seven years in Southern California, some Muslims came to Christ, a few. But I wanted to form a house group. I tried again and again and failed again and again and again. Just bring some people together, one or two people got saved and the group disintegrated in a few months, three mm. months, six months. Just I couldn't do it, just fail, fail. So when I graduated, I found a job in artificial intelligence lab, a Lockheed AI lab in Northern California. So moved there to a new city and I said, God, okay, I got my PhD now, I have a good job, use me in this city. I did not know anybody, just me and my wife in our living room prayed, God, use us in this city among Muslims and God brought one by one Muslims and they got saved one by one by one hundreds and hundreds of them got saved in San Jose California wow hundreds and we planted the church the church grew planted several churches in Northern California that, that was the next 10-15 uh, years yeah. wow as the church grew, I was the teacher evangelist. I mean, I, I was leading the church, Bible studies, going out, sharing the gospel. I was doing that, but I, I knew I had, I lacked something. So we hired a pastor. So the church grew, and but I was doing research for a while. And the church, people were getting saved and added just continually. Yeah. One day I walked into my office. I sat down that day and I said to God, God, this is good. I'm happy. The church is growing. I have this job I love and I'm being paid big money to come here and play games. This is like game for me. Yeah. The moment I said being paid big money to play games, a thought invaded my mind, which never left me. The thought was this. Do you want to be paid big money the rest of your life to play games? Hmm. That thought, okay. Convicting. <laughs> so that thought did not leave me for two years, just struggled. And I felt, God, you know, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm giving good money to church and I love this job. But uh, God just felt, no, I have plans for you. And I struggled. He said, God, I'm not a pastor, okay? I am not. But I felt God saying, I'm not calling you to be a pastor the rest of your life, just for a while. So I became a pastor. It was hard, the drop in your income. Oh, so you left your research job yeah. entirely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, became employee of the church and to make the ends meet. Hundreds of Iranian immigrants came to Christ during these years. Hormoz had been a Christian for almost 20 years at this point and was thrilled with what God was doing among the Muslim converts that he knew. But little did he know the doors for evangelism that God was about to open next, which you'll hear about after the break. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. 
It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of the Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Hormoz Shariat had been active in evangelism and church planning for the last 20 years, focusing mainly on immigrants with a Muslim background. But suddenly, all the experience he gained as an evangelist and working in ministry was about to be amplified by a brand new technology. Suddenly, in the late 90s, satellite television became a reality. Going to the Middle East through satellite became visible. Several channels were there. and I. I said, let's go media. I got a secondhand uh, camera and we got a free time for cable television in the Bay Area. So I would go to the street corner and just preach for half hour on a one old camera and the sound was not good. The picture was not good. And we, we gave it to our cable for San Jose area cable. Sunday afternoon, they give us half hour for free. 
And every time you watch it, oh my gosh, it's so bad. It's so <laughs> bad. Were you preaching in Farsi or in American? Yeah, Farsi. Yeah. Okay. Farsi for the maybe Farsi speakers in the Bay Area that would catch it. But when the satellite television started, we said, okay, that's, that's the way to go to Iran. Push to get a satellite contract, they would not allow me, uh, they would not sell time because they said, you're Christian. The satellite channels either were political or commercial. They would say, your message as a Christian will hurt our business. And these were like Farsi-only Farsi. channels. That's right. They were Farsi channels stationed in Los Angeles, going to Europe, uplink, and broadcasting to Iran real time. So they did not sell us a, a time, and we pushed. They said, okay, we have the money. We're gonna get, no, we don't want your money. It's going to hurt us. After September 11, one of them called us and said, okay, we will sell you one hour a week for the whole year, but you have to pay up front. I said, sure, yes, we will do it. So we gave them our savings. And later we found out that they were going bankrupt and that's why they were open. Wow. And we could have lost all our money, but I think God blessed them because once we got in, they didn't go bankrupt. From day one, we were on the air. So we would put a phone number for, in America on our screen. People in Iran could call real time. They could call us and talk to us on the air, live on the air. There was a phone on our desk in front of camera. We had like 20 some buttons that people could contact simultaneously. And we saw all the buttons lit up. So many calls from Iran. Most of them asking questions or wanting to pray to receive Christ. Wow. Some of them to cuss at us and insult us. Live on the air. I love those times that somebody angry would call us and on the air would be insulting us and disrespecting us. Those were the best times. And you would just pick up the phone. Oh, and yeah, like you had never... no screening. You just no click, screening. Click, click and you, you're on the air. Oh, Go my ahead, goodness. You know? <laughs> we had no screening. So from day one, many people came to Christ. Wow. They would write down our phone numbers, tell each other, and we, even though we had one hour a week, we were getting calls day and night throughout the week. Wow. People, questions or prayer to receive Christ. Yeah, thousands were coming to Christ. What started out as a small one-hour program broadcasting into Iran once a week began to grow. They named themselves Iran Alive Ministries and through a partnership with CBN, also known as the Christian Broadcasting Network, began broadcasting eight hours a day into Iran. Then at one point when Hormuz was guest speaking at a church, he shared the vision that God had given them to reach the people of Iran. And completely out of the blue, someone was listening in the audience that day who sent a $1 million check and asked to remain anonymous. This gift along with others helped launch their next phase. Today, Iran Alive is headquartered near Dallas, Texas. They now own their own satellite channel and broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ 24-7 into Iran. Now, to be clear, satellite broadcasting the gospel from outer space into Iran is strictly outlawed by the Iranian government. And conversion from Islam is a crime and on some occasions is punishable by death. Regardless, this is the calling that God has given to Hormuz. I'm wanted by the Iranian government. I'm considered the enemy of the government by doing that because every Muslim that comes to Christ, they lose their power over them. And they have closed down all the churches seven years ago. They, they did that. It's illegal to Christians to gather even in their homes. Wow. If Christians are caught gathering in homes, they get five to 10 years of prison just for gathering. 
Wow. It's very tough. But they can gather around the television with friends and family members, and that's what we are doing. We saw a surge in the number of salvations this year, beginning of 2020. And then the corona came and the numbers increased. So we said, let's dedicate the month of May to evangelism. Not just we evangelize on the channel, which we always do. This time, let's teach people, you go and share the gospel. Mm. So for the month of May, four weeks, we did evangelism. First week, I told people, I'm going to teach you the following weeks, how to share your testimony, how to share the gospel and all that. But first week, don't say anything. Just make a list of people you know and you want them to come to Christ. Pray for them, fast for them, and do an act of kindness. Just first week. No talking about Christ. And from the first week, people started calling, my family is coming to Christ. My friends are coming to Christ. Before even I tell them, they're coming to Christ supernaturally. They're seeing Jesus. They're meeting Jesus. One lady was saying, I wrote my, the list of all the people I wanted to come to Christ. And I remembered my sister. I said, no, I'm not going to put my sister. She's so anti-Christian. She hasn't talked to me for this last six months because I'm a Christian. And she always cusses, curses Christianity. I, no, I'm not going to put she. There's no hope. Okay, God, I, I put her name down. Okay, put at the end of my list. She said, I prayed, prayed, prayed. And at the end, oh, okay, I pray for my sister. She said, on the third day, I had a call from my sister. Three days of praying and fasting for, for all of these people. And she calls us. Wow, my sister calls me. My sister says, how does one become Christian? What prayer you you re, you know you recite to become a Christian? I want to do that. So, wow, just the power of prayer for salvation of others. They experience. And we saw so many come to Christ even first week before they even shared the gospel. And the funny thing was this lady was saying, she said, Pastor Thomas, I'm sorry, I didn't do my whole homework. I said, what do you mean? He said, you asked us to do the act of kindness, but my sister came to Christ too fast. I didn't have a time to do it. <laughs> wow. Since May, the number of salvations 10 to 20 times jumped. We used to get 20, at most 50 people per week who would tell us we want to become a Christian or we just made that decision. Since the month of May, every week, every week, we have over 500 wow. per week. These are people who contact us knowing that we are blocked and contact us is very dangerous. So many make that decision, but they do not dare contact us. So these are the people who do contact us 500 a week. I'm sure the real number is much higher, but 500 a week. And we just last week, we celebrated 10,000 salvations since May. Wow. We, we, we did a party on, on our channel. Wow. Just happy singing. Wow. Yeah. There is a supernatural work of God in Iran. Iran will be the first Islamic nation turned to Christ. Iran has the fastest growing evangelical population in the world. In the world? In the world. It's not I'm, I'm saying. It's an independent research. We are changed from house church planting, which we did for years. and We have a large underground network established. But now we are doing household church planting, which means go through satellite, reach out to people and their family members. And when somebody comes to Christ, teach them and coach them to reach out to their other friends and family members. And when they come to Christ, gather. Gather with the people you do know, not people we, you don't know. So that's how we are planting churches right now, our households. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's growing. It's just amazing numbers. Wow. So then uh, it's satellite television. Does the Iranian government, do they ever try to 
I don't know the terminology, block. Yeah, they jam. They try to jam it. Jam it. It's very hard because the signal comes from the sky. From the outer space, basically. Uh, yeah, out of space. And last year, we switched our satellite to make it even harder. The old satellite we had was a little bit over horizon. So if they put a tower, they could feed noise to many of these satellite dishes. But last year, we moved to a satellite over Iran. So the dishes are pointing upward. Very hard to jam. Wow. So we have more, since last year, we have more viewers. Now, does the government have a way of knowing who is watching? No, that's the great thing. We do internet broadcasting also, but it's very dangerous. Because on internet, they can know what you watched, where you went. We have had people who were arrested because they liked one of our postings. Wow. So people are even afraid to go and leave a comment or even do a like, because they could get arrested for that. Wow. Phones are very controlled, but satellite signal cannot be controlled. If they invade a house, they cannot tell what you were watching 10 minutes ago. But if they look at your computer, they know what, where you were 10 months ago. Hormoz and his team consistently receive death threats, and accordingly, they have to take security precautions. And as I said earlier, they broadcast out of a nondescript location in Texas that won't attract much attention. Because of his high profile, Hormoz has actually never returned to Iran ever since he left in 1979. But he routinely connects with and teaches people who are on the ground in Iran and face potential consequences every day. You know, I've been training leaders. I cannot go to Iran. So how did I train hundreds of leaders in Iran? I, first through internet and television, but I brought him out to third countries, face-to-face -face training intensive, one week, sometimes two weeks. And these are mighty men and women of God. And they were so hungry, these young people, hungry, hungry for the word. I, I had several teachers, they would teach from morning till 10 p.m. And they were not fed. They, they wanted more, more. After about 10, 12 hours of teaching, they would start praising and worshiping and dancing and happy. Four hours, they had uh, singing and worship and dance, we dance. I love their dance, okay. <laughs> So it was the night before they went back. The conference was over. They were going back the next day. And I sat down. I watched them that night again. Jesus party. Oh, singing for their, their faith and dancing with it and making new songs. As that night, we just make songs and play it and sing it. And I just saw them happy. And I was just looking at them. I said, do they know tomorrow when they go back? Maybe at the airport, they could be arrested. Mm. Do they know they could lose their lives? They're so happy. Maybe I didn't teach them well. Maybe I should teach them about persecution in the Bible. So I, I interrupted them. I said, sit down, sit down. I have one more, my, one more lesson. So they listened to me. They sat down. And I opened the Bible, taught them about persecution. It's, it's normal. Anybody who lives a Christian life is being persecuted. Some people may be called to give even a high price their lives. That, that's mm. the reality. So they listen, listen, quiet, respectfully. And you know what they told me at the end? After a half hour of teaching, they said, Pastor Hormoz, don't worry about us. We know what we got into. When we were Muslims, we were ready to die for Allah, who is a distant and cruel God. How much more we are ready to die for Jehovah, who is an intimate and loving God. Mm. We know what we got into. One of them was saying, I'm not afraid of them. They're afraid of me. Wow. That's why they want to arrest me. Wow. Because they're afraid of my message. 
Wow. It's out of their fear. They, they, they are afraid. Not, I'm not afraid. Wow. So uh, there, there is a supernatural grace for the Christians in Iran in the midst of persecution, being brave, being on the move, sharing the gospel. There is something special about Iranian Christians. Throughout Hormoz's ministry over the last 40 years, he's seen God save countless Iranians, and Hormoz's extended family is no exception. The Lord just brought, brought them one by one, my brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles. Last time I counted, which is about 10 years ago, was over 60, 65 people. Wow. If I knew, came to Christ. Some of them have very amazing stories, like my mom or my sister, just amazing. Even my brother, how God reached out to them. Amazing story. My mom just passed away two years ago. She was she came to Christ at the age of 78. Overnight, her life was changed. It was bitter and abrasive person, became such sweet. And she started evangelism and the smuggling Bible for years, for years. She took suitcases of Bibles every time. She was going back and forth. Wow. So many people came to Christ through her. Wow. Uh, wow. That is so cool. As we wrapped up our conversation, Hormoz had a message to fellow believers on the importance of evangelism. I want to ask people who are listening, do you have God's heart for the Muslims? Do you care about 1.78 billion people going to hell? Did God love the whole world? If you have God's heart, shouldn't we love Muslims and share the gospel? Especially knowing that nations like Iran, Muslims like Iran, they're open. Shouldn't we be instruments of share the gospel with them when they're so hungry and open? What would you say for anyone who's listening and they have Muslim friends here in the United States and they want to be able to witness to them? Do you have anything particular that you would recommend or advise to them? Not all Muslims are the same. So my first question is, find out what type of Muslim is. When I witness to Muslims, my first is just to get to know them, where is the background, how far they have come spiritually. That would be one point. Another point I would go with uh, that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And when they see you as a Christian, loving God and praying, pray in their presence, pray for them, ask a permission and pray. That's so attractive, a Christian praying to Father in an intimate way. You know, when we have prayer meetings, we have live prayer meetings on our channel. It's a prayer to God. It's not evangelism. But do you know that hour, so many people come to Christ? Such a popular hour for Muslims. They love to watch and see Christians pray to Heavenly Father in an intimate way. It makes them feel so good. And number three would be the power of love. Allah has 99 names. There is no, none one of them is love. So your love for God, your love for Him, and especially your love for other Christians, it's very attractive. Perfect love casts us fear. And Islam is fear and the spirit. Yeah. I like to cast out. It's a spiritual warfare word. So perfect love casts us the demonic spirit of fear, Islamic fear. So love is powerful. Yeah. Many, many Muslims who come to Christ in America, uh, which many have come, and I've asked them, what caused you to come to Christ? The number one answer is love. That Christians loved us. Some would say, when we came to church, yeah, you treated us well and you loved us. We were, we were suspicious because we thought you're loving us to make us Christian, so trick us to become a Christian. So we didn't trust that love. 
But when we saw you Christians love one another, that's who said, this is the truth. Love one another. Isn't that what Jesus says? That they will know you, my disciples, by your love for one another? John chapter 12, I think. Yeah. That's right. That's what they say. Say, you Christians, how you love one another is very attractive to Muslims. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Hormoz. God bless. Thank you, Paul. Hormoz's journey from being a protester in the Iranian revolution to operating a satellite broadcast into Iran, sharing the love of Jesus, isn't exactly what you would expect. But then again, isn't every story from God? Because I mean, who would ever expect the God of the universe to care about his rebellious creation in the first place? Hormoz's conviction and commitment to reaching the people of his homeland in Iran is convicting, for me at least. What am I doing to reach people where I live, in my own neighborhood? It may not be by starting a satellite broadcast, but maybe it starts by praying or doing an act of kindness that opens a conversation. Hormoz gave us three autographed copies of his book, Iran's Great Awakening. It goes into greater depth about his salvation testimony and ministry journey, and has a whole section detailing what God has to say in the Bible about Elam, which encompasses modern day Iran. We'll be giving away all three copies of Hormoz's book this week. And to enter, simply visit our website, compiledpodcast.com and go to the show notes page for this episode where you'll find the entry form. Also on our show notes page, you can find behind the scenes photos of Hormoz and his wife and links to his ministry and teaching. Again, you can find all of that at compelledpodcast.com. You can find Hormoz at his website, iranaliveministries.org or at hormozshariat.com. Last thing, if you don't already have a podcast player on your cell phone, then I would suggest using CastBox. It's super easy to use and lets you download episodes to listen to ahead of time for when you're offline. You can download CastBox from Google Play for Android or the App Store for iPhone. This episode was edited by Zach Fowler and Will Jackson. Our media assistant is Ethan Adams and our associate producer is Sarah Hastings. Special thanks to my friend Steve Cleary for connecting me with Hormoz. Steve has his own unique testimony about being the first employee of Voice of the Martyrs and becoming a media missionary. You can hear that in episode eight of Compelled with Steve Cleary. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's episode with Kathleen Lansing. Kathleen's two-year-old son fell suddenly ill and was on death's door. As Kathleen cried out to God asking for healing, his condition worsened and she feared the worst. Only a miracle from God could save her son. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. About 4.30 in the morning, we got a call from the doctor. And he said, the x-ray was done. Things were worse. You need to get here quickly. We don't know if there's anything else we can do for him. And so we rushed back to the hospital. We ran upstairs and it wasn't visiting hours. You had to keep those special visiting hours, you know, 15 minute things, but they let us in. I think it was to say goodbye. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, 
And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.